first reading is from First uh, Samuel chapter three, beginning at verse one. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling out at the other, as the, at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 139, verses 1 through 6. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This is the word of the Lord. The third reading is taken from the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. 
I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel is from John chapter 1, beginning at verse uh, 43, calling of the disciples. Please stand as we hear the good news according to John. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good evening, everyone. I'm excited to continue worshiping with you this evening by spending some time in the Word. Uh, the Gospel portion we just read from John chapter 1 is one of those stories in the Gospels that you might read through and not think much of. But when you give it a closer look, you would recognize actually it's one of the most important passages in the Gospel of John. The reason for this is that in John chapter 1, Nathanael appears, and if you read through the other Gospels before you get to John, you'll recognize that Nathanael is in none of those. Nathanael only appears here in John chapter 1, and he appears in one other place, in the last chapter of John. So it acts as bookends. Nathanael's at the beginning of the Gospel, and he's at the end. In ancient Judaism, when you would craft a story, oftentimes you would make it circular. You would start at one point, and you would come back to the beginning point. So let's give it a closer look and see what we can find out in this passage. It says in verse 43, I'm reading from the ESV, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. The two words here that really stick out in these two verses is the command, follow me. Now, follow me is scattered throughout the Gospels, but in the Gospel of John, it also only appears in two places. Here with Nathanael in chapter 1, and in John chapter 21 with Nathanael again. This portion of the Gospel of John is an invitation to encounter Jesus, to come and see who he is, to see him in all of his fullness. And this important command, actually, you know, I was thinking today of sometimes in our Christian walk that we oftentimes uh, um, complicate our walk with the Lord. But when we think about Jesus, when we think about him as a rabbi, when we think of him as the one who has called us, there should only be two words that should come to our head. The fact that he said, follow me. That really encompasses the Christian life. It's not just believing in Jesus. It's also a call to action. One of the first occurrences of this kind of following is in the Elijah and Elisha story. Um, God says to Elijah to anoint Elisha because he's going to take your place. And the scriptures say that Elisha was um, plowing with oxen. And in fact, it gives a detail there. It says not just plowing with oxen, it says he was plowing with 12 oxen. So every detail in scripture is important. Because the scripture could have clearly said he was just plowing with oxen. But instead it says 12. The reason for this, I think, is that in that time time period, if you had just two oxen, 
you would be somebody who is well off. But Elisha had 12. And what did he do with those 12 oxen? Well, the story says that he slaughtered them all and he cut them in pieces and distributed them to the people. And then he followed Elijah. In the same respect, when Andrew and Peter, the first two disciples who were called by Jesus, they were working, uh, they were fishing, they were mending their nets, and Jesus said the two important words, follow me, and it says that they left their nets and immediately followed Jesus Christ. Now, while we might complicate our Christian life, while we might think of so many things when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, the two words that should really stand out, the simplicity of the gospel message and our relationship with the master, is it's a call to follow him and to leave the world behind. And that's what Philip did here. And we read in verse 45, the next verse, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, oftentimes in the New Testament, it says the law and also the prophets. And when it couples those two things together, it usually means that it's speaking of the whole Hebrew Bible. Now, Jewish people in Jesus' day, and even now, had a narrow understanding of the Messiah. In fact, I was listening to a, uh, a debate between an Orthodox rabbi and a Christian professor. And the Orthodox rabbi, when they were talking about the Messiah, he said that we are sure of only six passages in the Hebrew Bible that are fulfilled in Messiah. And when you hear something like that, and you know Jesus Christ, you know that everything from Genesis to the end of the Bible points to him. In fact, one of the key passages in the Law of Moses, one that the Jewish people missed even in Jesus' day, is the prophecy about the prophet. In the center of the Law of Deuteronomy, there's so much stuff going on in Deuteronomy, and a lot of people point out the details, but the focal point of Deuteronomy is right in the center of the book. Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, there is a prophet who will rise among your brothers, and when he comes, listen to him. Now, throughout the New Testament, the gospel writers and the other authors connect that to Jesus Christ. But in Jesus' day, even earlier in, in this gospel, in John chapter 1, the religious leaders asked John the Baptist, who are you? And he confesses, he doesn't deny, I'm not the Messiah. Then they ask him two other questions. Are you Elijah? He said, no. And then they asked him, are you the prophet? And he said, I'm not. In that time, they thought that the prophet was somebody else who would accompany the Messiah. But in reality, Jesus is the one who fulfills all these things. Everything in the law Everything in the prophets points to him. Can I get an amen? <laughs> All right, then it also says that in the prophets also speaks of Jesus. 
There are so many things in the prophets that speak about Jesus Christ as well. But really the focal point when you think about the prophets and messianic fulfillment, the things that should immediately come to your mind are the servant songs of Isaiah. It starts in chapter 42 and continues all the way to chapter 53 of the suffering servant. Now in chapter 42, I'm going to read this for you and show you how it connects to Jesus Christ. In chapter 42, verse 1 of Isaiah, where the servant song begins, in the very first verse, it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Now another way to say, in whom my soul delights, is to say that I am well pleased with. Now, you being a Christian, for most of you, when you hear the words, with whom I'm well pleased, what do you think of? Well, last week we heard a wonderful sermon in Mark chapter 1 about the baptism of Jesus Christ. It says that the heavens were open and the voice from the clouds spoke concerning Jesus. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 42. So we'll read on. In verse 46, this is what Nathanael says to Philip after he says that. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Now this is the crux of the passage. This is what the gospel writer writer wants every reader to understand. That a relationship with Jesus Christ is an invitation. And just like what Philip said to Nathaniel, so I'm saying to you as well. That Nathaniel could have given an argument for who Jesus is. Saying different things that he knows about him. But simply, all he says is just come and experience him and see for yourself. And in fact, the next few verses, which we're going to look at here in just a second, uses the word see six times because it's giving you a glimpse on who Jesus is in all of his fullness. But the content of the question or this interrogation that Nathaniel gives to Philip He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, being a good Jew, he probably was thinking of messianic fulfillment. Like, for example, that the Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. So how could he be someone who comes out of Nazareth? But I think because of of knowing a little bit more about Nathaniel, you would actually go a step further than that. If you read the end of John, John chapter 21, it says Nathanael's from Cana. Now that's an important reference because Cana is next to, it's beside Nazareth. So Nathanael knew Cana quite well. Actually, if you are in Nazareth, you could actually see Cana from a distance. Cana, or I'm sorry, Nazareth is definitely a poor city from what we know. Um, historically, there's probably at most 500 people that live there. Um, it, there. The ancient sources mention 
50 cities in, in the Galilee region, but Nazareth is never mentioned because it's so small. And I went there once with someone who is an expert in historical geography, and he called Nazareth the Dust Bowl of Israel. And what he meant by that is that the terrain does not support life in Nazareth. It's not capable, the soil's not rich enough to grow crops there to sustain a large population. Now, the interesting thing about this is that we oftentimes think about Jesus in Galilee, we think about him in Capernaum, we think about him in Jerusalem, but he lived 30 years of his life in this lowly city. Our Messiah dwells in the lowest places of the earth. And this shows us something about his character. In 2016, this, this actually really resonates me because of the story I'm about to share with you. In 2016, I was living in Kenya and um, I heard of this place that was one of the lowest places in the whole country. And I talked to a lady who lived there, and it was such a poor place, such a dirty place, that this lady, she had nine children, and she said seven of them died there. And for about a week, I just felt so strongly in my heart that the Lord wanted me to go there. And so I fought with all my strength to not go because of the place that I knew he was calling me to. But I eventually went. I got on a bus and I took a trip through Kenya and arrived at this place. And as I was approaching this place, I saw a hill and I saw that it was smoldering. And as I got closer, I saw that there were people walking on it. Then when I pulled up to the side, I realized that it was a trash heap. These people uh, live in this trash heap. They recycle whatever metals are there and they eat the leftover food. And my heart started to race, recognizing where I'm getting off at. And that's exactly what it looked like. That's exactly what it looked like. And when I was getting out of the bus to go to this place, the conductor of the bus said, whoa, wait, you don't want to get out here. And I said, well, well why? And he said, uh, this is one of the most dangerous places in Kenya. And you're a white person, so they're going to think you have money. And I just thought about it for a second, thinking maybe I'll turn around, but I just knew that I had to get out. So I said, no, I'm getting out. And uh, he closed the door behind me. My heart started to race because I knew this was it. I walked up to the top of the hill of this trash heap, and I saw two men from a distance starting to pace toward me. And the first man came up to me and he grabbed my shoulder and he looked me in the eyes and he said, I want to know Jesus, please share Jesus with me. The second man came up to me and he said, if you came here to share the gospel, just say the word and I'll gather up all the people. I'm the leader in this place. Then the third person came up to me. This all happened in the first five minutes I was up there. He said, um, I used to be an English teacher. If you need someone to translate from uh, English to Swahili, I'm your man. 
So I said the word, the leader gathered up the people, and I had a translator available and people hungry for the word. And these people were sitting around in this trash heap, uh, drinking booze and smoking cigarettes, quite a church service. And, uh, and as I was getting through the gospel, the most amazing picture I've ever seen, probably in my life, was as they were smoking their cigarettes, they were drinking their booze, they were swaying back and forth, then all of a sudden everyone was still. Everyone was silent. And tears started to flow from their eyes. And they all looked at each other and they put their booze aside, they put their cigarettes out and they stood up and they said, we want to follow Jesus Christ today. The Messiah dwells in the lowest places. This is the one who's calling us. This is the one who is saying, follow me. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, so let me just back up and just refresh you here. Nathanael was skeptical. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip answered him without giving any debate, but just saying, come and see. Now, he does go with Philip to come see Jesus, and this is what Jesus says and does. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, like I said, this is an invitation to come to know Jesus personally. And in fact, it reminds me of a psalm, Psalm 34, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Our relationship with him is not only intellectual, it's experiential. There's two things that we can discover, experience on who Jesus is just by what he says to Nathaniel and what he does here, where he sees Nathaniel. First is, um, he says to he says to Nathaniel, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So what can we learn about the Messiah with what he says to Nathaniel? First is, is that Nathaniel obviously it struck a chord in his heart by what Jesus said because he responded saying how do you know me but what he said the content of what Jesus said actually comes from Psalm 32 and it reveals something about the Messiah and what Nathaniel was doing we don't know for sure exactly what Nathaniel was doing but you can ascertain it by looking deeply on what Jesus says to Nathaniel here So what Jesus says here comes from Psalm 32, which is a psalm of confession. Now, in the first century in Judaism, the Jewish people mostly used the psalms for prayer. So Nathaniel was praying, and he was most likely praying a psalm of confession. 
And so the thing is, what we can learn about the Messiah with this is that Jesus knew what Nathanael was doing. He was praying. And who knows our prayers? And who knows our thoughts? One of the readings tonight was from Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I rise up and when I lie down. You discern my thoughts from afar. God is the one who knows our thoughts and prayers. Jesus is that one. The next thing we can learn about Jesus on his encounter with Nathaniel here is where he saw Nathaniel. It says, before, he said to Nathaniel, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So again, every detail in scripture is important because the gospel writer could have said, when I saw you under a tree, but it doesn't say that. It says, when I saw you under a tree. And it doesn't say, when I saw you next to a tree, it says, I saw you under a tree. So those two details are very significant. Why? Because it refers to something about the Messiah that's contained in the Old Testament. I'm going to read this for you from 1 Kings chapter 4. In 1 Kings chapter 4, this is the height of Solomon's reign. When he ruled from Dan to Beersheba, and everyone lived in safety, it says. This is the conclusion of that time period when he reigned, which most closely represents the Messianic kingdom. It says in verse 25, And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, and every man under his vine, and every man under his fig tree. Where Jesus found Nathanael was under a fig tree. It is a place historically where Jewish people would hope for the Messiah, for the King Messiah to come to establish his throne in Jerusalem, where there will be peace and security throughout the whole earth, not one that the world gives, but one that comes truly from the Messiah. And this is why Nathanael responds to Jesus in this way. He says in verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, which is a divine title, the one who saw his thoughts and his prayers. You are the King of Israel. So he uses those two titles and connects them to this encounter that he has with Jesus Christ. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, first of all, this is the first time that he uses the title for himself, Son of Man. This also is a divine title. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man will come in on the clouds. So he's the one who comes down from heaven. 
But also he talks about something else in the Old Testament when he says, you'll see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on him. So what does that come from? It comes from Genesis chapter 28, uh, something you're probably familiar with of Jacob's ladder. So, but how does that dream that Jacob has connect with Jesus Christ? That's the question. Well, it was at a time in Jacob's life that he was very discouraged that he received this dream. And it says, the text says in Genesis chapter 28 that he comes to a certain place. And it, the text actually emphasizes the place that Jacob comes to in which he has the dream. And the place that he had the dream was in Bethel. So the reason why that's important is because if you look at an ancient map, you'll see that a world map is oriented at Israel at the center. Now, if you zoom in on Israel and you put a pin on the center of the map, do you know what city you would get? You might think Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is off-center. It's to the southeast. The center of Israel, the center of the world, is Bethel. And this is a place that Jacob saw this dream of angels ascending and descending. But we know, because Jesus quoted this in reference to himself, that it's not really about a place. It's about a person. Jesus is our permanent access to God. He is the land bridge that connects us to heaven. This is the one who calls you. This is the one who is saying to you, follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the call. And thank you for the simple message, the simple command to follow in your footsteps. And I just pray, Lord, that we would be renewed and refreshed in the weightiness of that call. That we would recognize that when we accept that call that we are no longer our own. That we have been bought with a price and that we are to glorify you in our own bodies. So I just pray, Lord, that you would lead the way and that we would trust you in this journey that we have with you. We pray in your precious name. Amen.